ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome into this week's episode of the Nosebleed Podcast, WFUV's exclusive baseball podcast. I'm Brian Rabex. This week, I'm joined by Dan Bartels and Maddie Bumonte. I'll just throw this out here right now. All of our teams, the Mets and the Yankees, are not doing well right now. It's kind of been a struggle in New York baseball as of late, but we're going to take those bad vibes and hopefully not bring them on the podcast this week. Guys, what's up? How are we all doing this week? Good. I mean, I, I wish we could say we're playing meaningful baseball games in August, right, Brian? But we're not. So that's that. And uh, Maddie, I think you kind of have the same feeling with the Mets. It's not pretty right now. No, it's absolutely brutal. I, I've been trying to put out of my mind. I went to a Durham Bulls game last night instead to try to get my – and they literally were down 5 nothing in the first inning, so that was great. Yeah. So really just <laughs> – Really making my week in terms of baseball. So very exciting to see. Down five nothing. Down five nothing at the start of the first inning. Did Luis Severino pitch or no? <laughs> it's it's honestly seemed like it after watching that. Well, I guess we'll start with the Yankees. I mean, you guys have mentioned the struggle it is with the Mets and everything that's gone on since the trade deadline. It's not that much better in the Bronx right now. The Yankees just lost two out of three games to the Chicago White Sox. And if you're wondering how the White Sox are doing this year, they just traded everyone at the trade deadline and they're recently been exposed as a disaster behind the scenes. And they're 22 games below 500. The Yankees who are competing for a playoff spot right now, just lost a series to them. They lost two out of three and it's just, they're leaving runners on base consistently. It's just been a struggle. They can't drive runners in. So Maddie, I'll just throw this to you first because I got a lot to say following it, but is this rock bottom for the Yankees? Is this the lowest point that they're at right now? I really don't think you can get much lower than this right now. You have a really – well, first off, you have like last week or the week before the German incident where he's now gone for the rest of the year. Then you have Severino's consistent struggles. Then you have the the – drama that's going on with Boone and Cashman and whether or not Steinbrenner wants to do whatever he wants to do. And then you are now sitting at a 9% chance of making the playoffs. Like I really don't think it gets really worse than this at this point. I don't think it's dead in the water, but I think this is a wake, like a wake up or like you're completely done moment. And I think looking at the Severino start, which was very, which Boone is on the chopping block right now. Like these next like games count for him and the questionable decision to not start him in the first inning I get, but then why not maybe wait until you guys have at least a lead before they start, you know, subbing him back in because we just saw how that went. Like it wasn't a surprise that he was going to flub out there. So it's just a lot of questionable decisions, I think, on the Yankees' part. And right now, I think they're struggling. Even with Judge being back, things did not miraculously turn around as maybe the Yankees hoped. So I really I can't see how this is anything but rock bottom right now for them. But 
again, it's not over until it's over, but they have to seriously make the rest of these games count if they want to do anything. Yeah, I think rock bottom, that's just kind of the way Yankee fans think, not a shot at any Yankee fans. It's just all the world's collapsing, but, you know, we're three games above 500, still competing in games. I mean, you know, there's a lot of worse situations out there. I think a lot of it with the Yankees goes back to, yeah, there's upper management problems. People don't know if Boone's going to be there next year. Everything's going on with that. But I think, Brian, a lot of it goes back to even last year, right? You have this such great start that the Yankees have, never before seen, on pace to win 120 games at one point. It was really like the Yankees are here, right? The Bronx Bombers. And then, you know, not to a fault of their own, but they don't really get the proper bats that they need, rely more on pitching. And then you come to this year. I mean, they got swept by the Astros. I mean, it's like that's not a slap in the face to wake up and change something within your organization. I don't know what is. Same thing. They run it back like the Mets this year. Nothing really happens, right? So it's a tough situation right now. Rock bottom. I mean, there's been worse teams. But in terms of what you expected from this Yankees team, yeah, it's pretty bad. It's been really bad recently, just really since – the all-star break, I mean, you're losing to teams that you shouldn't be losing to. You lost a series to the Colorado Rockies. You got swept by the Angels, who are dead in the water right now. And you just lost a series to the White Sox, who entered that series with the fourth worst record in Major League Baseball. That's not good. And if you're going to compete the way that you want to compete, you can't lose to those teams. The White Sox in these next couple of weeks, that was like the only soft spot on your schedule. And you weren't able to get the job done. You're leaving 29 guys on base in that series. So you're averaging like nine runners left on a night. And then the two games that they lost, they were one for 19 with runners in scoring position. So they can't hit with runners on. And it doesn't help that they're not getting help from their starting pitching as well. Here's what I'll say about Luis Severino. I understand why he kind of has to st- or at least had to stay in because in the last week you had Herman go down and he's now out for the season. And then Carlos Rodon gets hurt on Sunday. So you lost two pitchers in the span of a week. I I get it. Severino has to start, but even with it at this point, it's hard for me to say that he can start another game. I don't, I don't see a scenario that it can happen. He's literally, they, they're playing from behind every single time he goes to the mound he had two good starts to start the year. Since then, 9.46 ERA. Dreadful. Wow. And this is a guy recently who had been really good in the past. So I am struggling to understand it. And I, I kind of respect what they did, trying something different. I mean, obviously it didn't work. But they thought, hey, he's been really bad in the first inning. Maybe if we put him in in the second inning, everything will be different. No, he faced the four, five, and six batters in the White Sox order, and he got shelled and he gave up a home run to a guy who has an OPS in the 500s. So Luis Severino might be done. I don't know if they're going to use him out of the bullpen. I don't know what they're going to do with him, but with the Yankees, it's just, they are all, they're always like playing catch up and nothing seems to be clicking right now. And they're five and a half games out of a wild card spot. And you look at their next nine games, Marlins Braves. I don't know how that series is going to go. And then the Red Sox, like, I think if they don't miraculously go like seven and two, I think they're done. But 
It's just with the way that the rest of August is looking, and then you have to play teams in your own division in September. I'm not liking the Yankees' chances to make a run at the postseason. I don't know about you guys. You can throw your two cents in there, but I'm not liking where the Yankees are at right now, to say the least. I, I genuinely forgot for a second they were playing the Braves. I I just don't think seven and two is going to be an option if they're if like they're playing the Braves and just the way they've been playing. Because to piggyback off of what you've been saying about the White Sox series, they struck out forty seven percent of the time. That's bad. Like <laughs> that's so bad. Okay. Um, like you said, stranding tons of runners and the teams. The White Sox ERA is the sixth worst in Major League Baseball. Like. It's a team that you should have been able to get more comfortable with at the plate and to really get back into it. But the offense ever, like even with the new hiring of the new hitting coach, nothing has changed. And it's, it's gotta be frustrating, but you gotta wonder like what approaches did they take this year in terms of hitting that changed? Because I will get into the Mets, my gripes with the Mets hitting when we talk about the Mets, because they did an approach that I think like miserably failed for them. And so I'm curious to know what happened in the Yankee side of things to really aggravate this hitting issue, because pitching, you can say whatever you want. Injuries happen. The suspensions are happening. Like you, you lose starters. Um, But hitting is a whole nother ballpark for them that they just can't figure out. And I, I don't even know where to start. I think also to your point about Severino, the way they've been handling him, I wouldn't be shocked if they give him a run in the bullpen for a game or two just to see. I just can't see this guy starting anymore this year. Like it, it really, when you have an ERA of 13 in your first innings this season, you can't be a starting pitcher. You just can't. For the Yankees, you cannot. Like, if they really want to make a run at all, something's got to change fast. And I don't know how fast this team can really adapt when they haven't put it in all season, really. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of changes. And Maddie, I'm happy you talked about the hitting coach because that was something, I mean, this could be a take whatever way you want to cut it, but negligence on the side of the Yankees. Why did it take so long to figure out? Why did someone who's not even with a minor league, former minor league teammate of Anthony Volpe has to figure out something that's wrong with the swing? You know, why is Rizzo, you know, gets into a thing with Tatis and then two months later comes out that he has a head injury? Like, why are these things taking so long to come to the forefront? That could be something, you know, people blame Aaron Boone. He's not making good pitching changes. All right, Maddie, like you said, too, a lot of the pitching is out of their control. So I think Cashman and Boone, if you're going to do a switch up, has to be together because I think they're a package deal. We've seen that. The Yankees front office has said we're not getting rid of Cashman. As much as the fans probably want that to happen, right? It's tough because you haven't seen anything. You you know, you're the New York Yankees. You're one of the best friend. You are the best franchise in sports. You know, there's no other way to cut it. So, you know, they're not living up to that expectation. And yeah, as you said, changes have to be made. It's hard for me to put a lot of the blame on Aaron Boone because he can only do so much with the roster that he's been given. I think Brian Cashman did not build a good roster. It's got a lot of aging players on it that just haven't been able to produce the way that they did. And even with that, like the starting rotation has been getting done. He added Carlos Rodon and Carlos Rodon has been a disaster to the start of his Yankee tenure. So with the way the offense has been constructed, I didn't see the hitting coach changing a whole lot. The hiring of Sean Casey, DJ has gotten better, but outside of that, it's largely stayed the same. 
So a lot of the changes that you guys are talking about, I guess we'll just have to wait until the end of the season. But history has shown that the Yankees aren't willing to make seismic changes. And yeah, this White Sox series was just a really, really tough blow. But I guess the only positive, the, the positive we can take from it is that we got that Aaron Boone ejection with him imitating Laz Diaz. <laughs> he did a really oh, good imitation of did, the strikeout yeah. call, I will say. No, he did. And, and you know what? Like, there, I believe Aaron Boone is tied, if not leads the league in strike, like in ejections. I believe it's oh. six that he sits mm-hmm. at right now. At least if you're going to do it, make a spectacle out of it. Like, at least give us something. And and he has given in the past the savages in the box to now the transition to this has been great. And you know what? <clears throat> I would rather have a guy at the end of the day that stands up for his team rather than sometimes my criticism of Buck Showalter in the beginning of the season who would do nothing. Like the worst calls would be given to the Mets and he would stand there in the dugout like nothing was the problem. And it took him until we started really losing for him to be like, oh, maybe I should like get out there and start doing things. Like, so I, I that's my thing with Boone is great, great ejection, great piece of thing. I know he said he's embarrassed about it now, but like just own it. And then I know like Alex Cora called him or something and was really? like, he did. Apparently, there was like an article about Alex Cora called him after and said, I'll pay half of your fine if you want me to. <laughs> so shout out to Alex Cora for that one. He understands good TV. And so, you know, Boone got it done at the end of the day. And, you know, he made a statement. And so I, I think it's worthwhile. You guys see the John Boy breakdown of it where Laz was like really giving it back to him. Yeah. They got like Laz's lip reading. And Laz was like, have you looked at your record, Aaron? You haven't done anything here. So Lasley did not hold back, but I mean, he's just a a bad umpire at the end of the day. So I I respect the effort by Boone, you know, trying to give energy, right? But I mean, yeah, and it's a frustrating time to be manager of the Yankees right now. Doing media can't be fun, and the team's losing in five and a half games out of a wild card spot. Not where you want to be. All right, exhale. We covered the Yankees. Let's transition over to the Mets now. The if we came on here last week and talked about the Mets, I think there would be no positives mentioned. They lost six games on their road trip in Kansas City and Baltimore. I mean, Kansas City, how do you get swept by them? I know the Mets are were torn apart. And before I let you guys get into it, Dan, I, I have to say, I I see your tweets. I, at the end of the day, I gotta respect your optimism. Even at the lowest point in the Mets season, you're still saying what 35 and 15 is the goal the rest of the way. Hey, they're they're one and oh since you since your tweet. So you know what? Hats off to you. 34 and 15 now. Let's get it. Yeah, Brian. All right. Well, you know, someone's <laughs> got someone's gotta be the voice, right? Or try to, you know, say something that can lighten. But it, listen, like that's the point of being a Mets fan, I think, right? A lot of people forget that. You know, the Mets could lose, but you know, Pete Alonso hits a home run, that's the highlight of the game, right? So Yes, expectations have been tampered, especially with Steve Cohen. I mean, there's no denying that. But, you know, it's tough because this year we're kind of the laughing stock, and that's not what any of us would have expected going into the year. And, you know, that we'll get into the nit- nitty-gritty of it. But, yeah, right now, Brian, it's you got to hope for the best if you're a Mets fan because, listen, a big part of it too, I don't know how to word this, the the wild card three teams, I think it's the D-backs, uh, the Phillies and the Giants right now, but I think the Marlins with other other team. They, ever, since the start of July, they've been under 500. 
So for a team like the Mets who sold off to begin July or the end of July, it leads you to believe that maybe they could have made a run if they stayed in it, right? If they didn't get rid of Robertson, maybe some of those Kansas City games would have went our way. Obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. Obviously, some, those things probably would have never happened. But you got to sit here and say, okay, the wild card hasn't changed. The Mets are still somehow seven games back, three and seven in their last 10 or whatever it is. You know, that, it stinks. But you got to always have hope and hope for next year, if not. so. I'm just like... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just like at the point of the season where it's it's over so it's like it's like over yeah but i'm really excited for the next three years that's gonna be fun we're excited (laughs) for 2026 right i'm excited to see see cunha out there in (laughs) playing uh second base because we're not moving lindor so he's gonna play second and he's gonna be out there we're gonna have a great time it's gonna be a great season world series 2026 champions in the meantime (laughs) I'm going to still be negative where I think my gripe with the Mets, and I read an article about this and I completely agree with it because we're talking about hitting, which has been a big problem for the Mets. Um, And, and like, I could, I could address my issues with pitching, but all the people that I had gripes with pitching are pretty much gone except for Drew Smith. I, I, I want Drew Smith gone. I want him out of queen. I'm I literally, before I can even talk about Drew Smith, I'll talk about the hitting. But the my problem with the Mets, and I saw two stats I think were very interesting, where they're 26th in baseball in swinging at pitches inside the zone and 27th at swinging outside the zone. And when when they make contact, they're good. But the problem is, is the mentality this year apparently was they wanted people to be more selective with their hitting. And I think that's a big problem for guys like McNeil, if we're taking him for an example, because he won the batting title and he comes in this year and he's just not the same hitter. He's not awful, but he's not the same guy he was when he won the batting title. He's a guy who notoriously swings at the first pitch. He's very aggressive with his pitches. It's not the same person we're seeing this year because they're trying to get them to walk more this year. It's like the Vogelback approach. I don't know why we're trying to tell everybody to walk more. Like, I get that you want to work your at-bats and you want to improve your hard hit contact and all of this stuff. But the problem is, is that their batting average is down from 302 to 271 this year. It's the second worst in baseball. Taking these pitches has not been good for them. And so I am I just think that that's been a problem for them. Uh, rumors going around about Edwin Diaz pitching. I don't want to see Edwin Diaz near the bullpen this year. I don't want to see him there. There's no reason he should be there. If we were in a better spot, sure, give him a game or two. There's zero reason this man after his knee injury should be pitching this year for whatever reason to get what injured again i give him give him the full time he needs to heal let's not rush this process let's be generous with it um and then my last thing before we continue drew smith i've never like i was reading drew smith's stats before this podcast and on paper it doesn't look bad but I swear every single game I watch him pitch is like 
torture because it's it's like he give I don't know how he can give up a home run almost every single game you pitch in like a go ahead home run he gives up the other day like how how I know his fastball's coming like that's it that's his only pitch it's his only pitch and he is his he is a good seventh inning pitcher the stat line for him between the sixth seventh eighth and ninth inning is crazy. He has an 8.44 ERA in the sixth, a 0.77 in the seventh, 4.61 in the eighth, and a 4.15 in the ninth. Why is he pitching anything but the seventh? I get David Robertson is gone, and I was upset about it. But, but look at his numbers. There's no reason why Drew Smith should be anywhere outside of the seventh inning. Maybe if he wants, like, to to do something later maybe but this is really bad like this is really bad for him this is something that you're gonna have to get used to now that the Mets have given up this season they're essentially just running out whatever and seeing if it works so yeah if the high leverage guys like David Robertson at the start of the year he's gone you know maybe Drew Smith has to pitch an eight inning let's see what Drew Smith has in the eighth inning and obviously based off of what you read it's not a lot so, but that's what it's going to be. You're running out Jonathan Arauz, Joey Mendick. Like you're running out these guys that don't really belong on a major league team. Rafael Ortega, like that's who the Mets are at this point. And you saw that last week. Now to talk about some good with the Mets, they just took two out of three against the Cubs and Alonzo and Lindor are on fire really since uh, Lindor since the start of July, Alonzo really since mid-July. And for Mets fans who watch those games and are locked in like you guys are, thank God. Thank God there's at least people on the team that are hitting. So Because you look at the top three, Nimmo, Alonzo, and Lindor, and you think, and that's pretty good. I mean, five through nine, awful. But at least Lindor and Alonzo, they're giving Mets fans something of – positivity to watch here as bad as this season has ended up becoming yeah definitely i'm gonna highlight pete alonzo specifically he had four home runs in the cubs series 35 on the year um about on pace for 50 give or take depends how many games he plays but he's one rbi away from matching keith hernandez for the all-time mets rbis list which is pretty cool and i think I did the projections. Pete Alonso, if he has another five seasons of, what, 35 home runs, puts him at about 400 by the time he's 34 because he's a younger, so he's 28 now. So, I mean, to me, the big glaring thing, getting rid of a Robertson, eating all these contracts, Canna, Pham, Scherzer, Verlander, Cohen's taking in the rest of his investment, cutting back the losses that he can, and maybe saving money for a guy like Pete Alonso for an extension, which I think is very needed right now. And a lot of fans are saying that Pete Alonso is going to be traded or Lindor is going to be traded. It's like, wake up. This, you wanted a power hitter. You wanted a Met. You wanted a homegrown guy. You wanted a power hitter. Build around him. You know, you did it. You got Nimmo. You got him on the contract. You got McNeil on the contract. Lindor is signed long term. It's like, you know, Senga's going to be here a couple of years. It's like you have a core. Alonzo's that core. We've known this for years. This is not news to anyone. It's like, and his defense has improved. There's a lot of parts of his game that have improved. And I really think he should be a Met for life. And 
if he's not already a Mets Hall of Famer, he's going to be up there very soon. I just don't see a world where he's on another team. I just, I just mm-hmm. don't know where he would go. I like, I he, he doesn't, it doesn't fit with him to be anywhere else. Just when you're kind of like a de facto leader alongside Lindor for this team, and you've done rookie numbers that were incredible with the Mets, and you've enjoyed your time in Queens, and you have nothing to real complain about other than maybe your own performance at times. I just, I think the way that this has set up, I agree with you, Dan, that this is the chance for the Mets to extend him in the off season because you just unloaded a lot of people. Now you have the space to be like, this is, you're obviously buying into what we're saying because he would probably be outspoken if he did not buy into anything or like at least Nimmo was willing to be outspoken about being nervous and everything like that. Alonzo was given none of that nervous energy at all to me. So He's obviously on board with this plan. I unless and I I just don't think Steve Cohen would take the risk to not offer him anything because from what I've interpreted from these Steve Cohen conferences and, and press things that he's done, it seems like he understands this idea of buying a team didn't work. So what do you do? The alternative, you extend your homegrown players, you bring up talent through the minors, which is what they have now. So he's taking the other route and he acknowledges it's going to take multiple years. If he was willing to go out and just buy the whole new team again, he would have said so. He would have done something like it would have been it would have been like he would be like, no, next year we're going to be super, super competitive. He didn't say that. So for me, there's no other alternative than to deal with Alonzo um, with an extension. But um, also, if we're talking about Lindor, I think that's worth mentioning, who has also turned a corner he went five for 11 during the series against the cubs and he has at least a hit in each of his last seven games i needed some consistency from somebody and and i'm glad that he's finally getting back in to it because he's always been very very good defensively but the mets needed a jolt of offense somewhere and if it's not just one player now it's two that gives me more hope going into the like end of this season at least something they did switch their mentality and changed it and they're not going into this offseason thinking well I hit awful all year long I did nothing right like I don't know what to do and they're lost so they at least will have something to go into be like okay I can improve on this and and figure my stuff out going into 2024 well for Lindor it was looking that way for the first three months of the season that he was not gonna have a good year his numbers weren't good at all and then really since his five hit game in Arizona, he's just taken off. And now his numbers actually look respectable at the plate. So kudos to him. He's done a good job. I'll tip my cap to him. Sure. Lindor and Pete Alonzo as well. They both, they're going to have to carry the Mets offense the way it stands right now. And the people that they're running out there. And before we move off really quickly, Brett Beatty got sent down and which I thought was really confusing given that the Mets have given up on competing this year and they know they're not going to the postseason. So why are you not playing Brett Beatty at third base and just like seeing what he is and if he can turn around, isn't the point of like rebuilding and retooling for the future, like letting young players play. I don't get it. I don't get what the purpose of sending Beatty down. I know he wasn't good this year at the major league level, but uh, to me, Dan, like sending Beatty down 
it doesn't make sense. Not with the way that the Mets took a machete to this roster. I don't get that. Well, I think having time in the minor leagues, Brian, isn't a bad thing. I mean, you look around the league, Grayson Rodriguez of the Orioles, Jordan Walker of the Cardinals. These guys got sent back down to the minor leagues and then they came back up and were just fine. So I don't think Brett Beatty, he will probably be back this year. There's something I'm going to mention that actually leads me to believe that he might not be. But, um, you know, we saw it with Escobar when they got rid of him, the Mets. They were all in on Brett Beatty. Now I think, Brian, they just kind of want to see what they have at third base. They think Brett Beatty, the, you know, the big prospect that he was, played last year, the thumb surgery, the home run in Atlanta, the whole thing. I think Brett Beatty will figure it out. They want to see what Vientos is like. He can't see throw across the diamond a lot of the time, Mark Vientos, but I think once he figures out that, he can be the third baseman for the Mets in the future. I don't think Brett Beatty might not be here long term. I, you know, I could see a world where that's the case. You know, he's already in talks with every single Otani thing. Brett Beatty's one of the first names, him and Mauricio, right? So I don't know. It's going to be close. We'll, we'll see. I think Brett Beatty this time will be good for him. But just the note that I wanted to point out, one, since May 9th, he has a 198 batting average, which is also not great. But if he spends the rest of the season in the minors, he'll fall just short of 172 days of service time needed for a full season. So that pushes his free agency back to 2028-2029 into the offseason of 2029-2030. So... I don't know what the Mets are looking forward to. Again, these things in the future. It could be something that they have a roadmap for. I don't know what Brett Beatty's future is with the Mets. Obviously, he should be a Met. I have no problems with Brett Beatty. But what we've seen this year, some things that need to improve it that he needs to work out. And I don't think that's a hot take. I I actually agree with you on this. I think that while I'm all for letting the young guys play and figure the things out. I think there's a difference with this Brett Beatty situation in which this is like a mental block that he's having right now at the plate. And I don't think letting him play through it is really going to fix it. I think he looks frustrated every time he goes out there. He's making errors defensively. I don't think it's a bad idea. Buck Showalter called it a reset. I kind of agree with the reset formula. I think let him finish out in the minors. I think he had a hit today. Correct me if I'm wrong. He did something today. That was he had a home run today. A home run today. So I think he needs this confidence boost of going back, just having a lower stress environment. You know, you're you're not going to be like it's not like he's missing out on a playoff run with his with the majors. Like he's just back doing the routine thing. You know, trying to get his swing better, trying to work on his defensive struggles. And and I just don't think with the way the Mets schedule is going to be for the rest of the year that he needed to be in this lineup to do it. And and like we said, now Vientos has more of a chance to do things and he got cheated out of a lot this year. So it, it's finally allowed him to do something. But I don't think this is necessarily like a bad thing for him. I think everybody operates differently. I think, you know, they tried him last season and he didn't work last season. They tried him longer this season. He did better, but he's not there yet. And so if that means more time in the minors, so be it. He'll he'll be ready one day. And I just think right now it's not worth stressing him out over a losing season when he could just improve over time in the minors and just give him that breather. It's just another 
quick point on that. I they the Mets said, I think it was Keith Hernandez, he said during one of the broadcasts, they don't want to get to the point where they're hindering his development, right? And Brian, we talked about early in the year with Volpe. Obviously, it was a di- certain different case. They were actually competing at the time, but a lot of fans were saying they don't want to hinder Volpe's development when he's at the big league level. I think it was a very similar thing with Beatty. They just ended up making the move. It's just hard for me seeing that the Mets tore it all down. They waved the white flag for 2023, and Brett Beatty is not getting major league at-bats. I get the reset and everything, but it just it's just weird timing that right after you traded everybody and – gave opportunities to people who may not normally get opportunities. Brett Beatty gets sent down. Like Danny Mendix on this roster. So is Jonathan Iruz. Like I keep bringing up those guys, but like Brett, Brett Beatty could fill one of those spots. And I don't know. I just think it's weird timing, but I, I get what you guys are saying, but I still think it's weird. The Mets are in a very weird spot in general right now, but they did mm-hmm. win a series and they get to play the Braves this weekend. Four games. Ooh. How about that? Four game sweep, Brian, right? Staying optimistic. <laughs> hey, next week's episode could be crazy if they get a four game sweep going. <laughs> That's right. But it'll only be six games out. <laughs> there we go. So we'll see about that, but we'll move off from New York baseball. I know the sadness around everything is kind of just tough to deal with. So we'll move on and go out of market here and I, I want to bring up the Kevin Brown situation with the Baltimore Orioles. This was crazy. I think most listeners understand what happened. He was reading a stat about the Orioles. So not an opinion or anything, a literal fact on a graphic that the Orioles did not play very well in Tropicana field in the last couple of years. They lost 15 straight series there. Again, that was a fact. It's not an opinion. It is 100% true. So then he tried to spin it that this year, oh, they've actually done a lot better at Tropicana Field. And CEO John Angelos suspends him, suspends him indefinitely. And they, the Orioles, they got a ton of backlash for it. And you know what? Good. This was a crazy move on their part. I hope the Orioles as an organization realize how stupid they look. And the whole suspending of Kevin Brown, I know he's coming back on Friday, but Maddie ridiculous ridiculous that he was suspended in the first place i remember watching the clip and i couldn't believe that's what he got suspended over number one because when you're doing that a producer approved what he said mm-hmm. so it wasn't like he just went out and freeballed whatever he said like you said he read a statistic like a statistic that the orioles won more games at Tampa Bay's Tropicana Fields than the last three years combined. Like, that was basically the stat. And the comment was backed up by notes, by PR. I think the thing is, I know we're hopeful that the Orioles learn from this. I don't think they will because they've already made a lot of mistakes in their office um, this past year in terms of apparently there's a rule that broadcasters can only wear team gear on air. Um, And that got another broadcaster in trouble. That's why Brown filled in on radio at one point because of that incident. Um, Broadcasters have been reprimanded for referencing past Orioles players who are no longer with the team. So I don't think this is like going to be a wake up call for them. I just think this is like, they just have to hide it better. And it's a shame that that's what it's coming to, but I'm so glad to see the fan support when they were cheering free Kevin Brown and the broadcasters across the league all standing in solidarity with him 
and showing that he is so talented in his own right. He's called great games. There's no reason why this event should have even occurred in the first place over a real stat that was acquired by multiple people in the organization. Yeah, a hundred percent. I liked how one, once everyone heard the news breaking, kind of like the whole baseball, even all the broadcasters felt they had to say something like, you can't get a pushover on something like that. Like, obviously he did nothing wrong. Just watch the video. It's very, you know, it's right there. And like you said, Maddie, it's someone had to approve that. And, you know, for it, it similar with the Colin Coward thing, I'm sure you guys saw it's not very similar, but you know, someone had to approve that and it got on the air. Like, it's tough, and I'm really happy that the Orioles fans stood up and, you know, backed him up because, you know, the CEO of the Orioles, who happens to be the owner's son, was the guy who got mad at Kevin Brown. So, there, you know, there's something not right there with what's going on. But, again, you know, usually when something like this happens with a broadcaster, it's something we saw earlier in the year with the Athletics guy. I don't know his name, but, you know, he said a curse word on the air. Like, that's going to get you fired. Like, something that you did that's tangible. Kevin Brown in this case did not do anything of that sort. It's just, and it's so weird. Like you guys have both been to Mets games and covered Mets games. So you understand the whole drill. The stat was apparently in their game notes. Like, yeah, it was in the PR. Like you, yeah. You so this wasn't like notes. something that Kevin Brown like went rogue. And again, yeah, it had to get approved. And the other thing that frustrates me so much about it. And this is, I guess, a message to Orioles ownership and John Angelos. If you didn't like the stat that he read, Maybe you shouldn't have put a garbage roster on the field and just totally did not do nothing to compete from 2018 to 2021. Maybe you would have won more games against the Tampa Bay Rays in that span. So that I mean, that's just where the frustration comes to me. I'm glad that he's going to be back on the air on Friday, but everyone I mean, came to his defense, which was awesome. MASN, what Mid Atlantic Sports Network, they're a regional network similar to SNY. It puts those people in danger too. They feel like they can't say anything. So it's like it just puts everyone in a bad position. And I'm glad they fixed it and he's back tomorrow. I was listening to Mike the Michael K show and Michael K was talking and he's he said, like, thank God that New York is the way that it is, because Gary Cohen's really negative about the Mets when they're bad. He never hears anything from Mets ownership. Hey, you can't say that. Michael Kay is pretty honest about the Yankees when they're not doing well. Nothing. So it's just so odd that there are some places like Baltimore and like Masson where they like this stuff can happen. It's bizarre. And did you hear the did you hear the kid caster the other day for the Mets? Like literally no way. Did he, he ripped into the hitting. No like way. he was allowed to say that on air. And so he was able to like joke around and like like talk about the hitting and how bad it was this year and i think there was a like, everyone was joking online like he's gonna get fired <laughs> yeah <laughs> hope orioles ownership didn't hear that and <laughs> that's right gary cohen also ripped the orioles i'm sure you guys saw that i was like really fired up watching him just come to his defense he didn't hold that's back. what i'm saying they all band together like this can't right. happen you know what i mean like it's, it's messed up the broadcasting profession i mean it's a brotherhood and again kevin brown did nothing wrong. He read it. So it's different. Like if he just said, man, the Orioles were a dreadful team in the last couple of years. They just didn't put anybody out on the field that had give them any chance to compete different, but no, he read again, a fact. I don't know how many times we need to stress it. It was a piece of information. How do you get suspended for telling the truth? That was a little truth. So 
Kevin Brown's going back in the Orioles booth, but this is just such a bad look for the Orioles and the entire ownership. So they have egg on their face right now and good because they deserve every ounce of it and deserved every bit of backlash that they got. So hopefully they learn from it, but I don't know how much they're going to change the way that they operate and what they want their broadcasters to do. But we'll end things on a lighter note. Michael Lorenzen of the Philadelphia Phillies last night threw a no-hitter on Wednesday night against the Washington Nationals. And Lorenzen's been really good for the Phillies in his first couple of starts there since they got him from the trade deadline. So always good to see baseball history, but the Phillies, it's another it's a no-hitter for their new trade acquisition and another maybe step in the right direction for Philadelphia this year. But always seeing a no-hitter is great. So Dan, I'll start with you. What were your thoughts on the history witnessed on Wednesday? Well, I'm happy that he did it at home, right? Mm. First start first start for him at home as a Philly. That was really cool. He pitched against Miami, did great. But Lorenzen was a guy they really wanted to go get, a guy that fills you know, all the molds, can be a long relief guy if they wanted him to be a very flexible guy. Now he's in the starting position for sure. But 124 pitches. Shout out Rob Thompson for keeping him in that game that long, right? I mean, like, you don't see that ever, especially now. But, um, yeah, the most by a solo no-hitter since Mike Fires, 131 in 2019. Uh, the last no-hitter since this week, that's pretty cool. And then the last no-hitter um, since Doc did it in the NLDS in 2010. So um, they've had those two no-hitters. Dominic Smith, the last guy to be retired, thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, his changeup, too. Just want to talk about that. That was his best pitch um, in that perfect game, and that was something he's worked on. Something really great pitch for him. I think he said he went back. I don't know if it was mid-no-hitter or probably the start before, but he had one of the coaches go back to a video 2019. He had a different changeup grip. He threw it, and it ended up working, and it was his best pitch. So, you know, Michael Lorenzen made history, and the Phillies, three and a half up, they're rolling. I think the best part about this was it it was, like, fun to watch. Sometimes no-hitters are, like, stressful to watch. This one was really fun, and it all came down to one thing for me. It was his shoes. The man did it in vans. He wore white uh, SK lows, and and this is not the first time that he's done this. He wore high, like, black vans when he pitched in Cincinnati. So... He is like a long, like Vans needs to give him a brand deal at this point because he's <laughs> doing a lot. And now they're in Cooperstown and it's going to be really cool to see them there. Um, Like you mentioned, Dominic Smith flying out center, really just knocking it home <laughs> for the Nationals. Um, and they they had the longest active streak of any franchise without being no hit going into that game. Yeah. That, it was just like honestly everything aligned to be perfect and then I watched his post-game interview where the commentators asked him you know what would your dad say because his dad had passed away in 2016 and he was all choked up it was really emotional seeing his mom out there in the stands was great seeing her cry you know it was just you want events like this to be fun in Major League Baseball you want to attract people to the sport and with the the ride the Phillies have had with 
you know, their struggles that they've had with players this year. And, you know, they needed a pick me up. They really did. And this was kind of a, just a really good thing for them to happen and a good thing for the sport. Um, and it was also cool to see that it was a one man, no hitter because we've had some collective no hitters this year, but there's nothing more better. There's nothing better than just a one guy out there doing his job, 124 pitches. And it's just to me, a great story all around. And you don't see a lot of guys throw 124 pitches these days, but that's what happens. You have a no hitter going, give him a little extra leash. And again, his first two starts as a Philly have been really good. He went eight innings in his first start, gave up two runs, and then obviously complete game shutout with the no hitter to go along with it in the second start. So are the Phillies winning the trade deadline right now? They might be, and they're in a really good spot. They're three and a half games up in the wild card. They had the first wild card. And if Michael Lorenzen's going to pitch like this down the stretch, they look like they're a shoe in to go to the playoffs. And and I guess no pun intended with the Vans. Yeah, yeah. Get, get those in the Hall of Fame right now. I know they're on the way. So that's really cool and just a really cool moment. And there's a lot of cool stuff going on in Philly right now. I mean, this story with Trey Turner and the year that he's having – and then the fans give him a standing ovation and he homers like there's a lot to like in the Philly with the Phillies right now. And yeah, they're probably not going to catch the Braves, but they look like they're in a good spot to head through the postseason. I think you have to be optimistic about these Phillies and maybe they have a shot to get back to the World Series. Who knows? But there's a lot going right now with this Phillies team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just touching really quickly, Brian, you talked about Trey Turner. One of the worst seasons of his career gets $300 million, very similar to Francisco Lindor a couple of years ago. He's not performing. Philly's upset. He's an emotional person. His mom's crying, the whole thing. And then they decide to collectively, as you said, during that Royals game, stand up, giving him a standing O, mid at bat, then cranks a three-run home run. I mean, what more confidence boost do you need, right? And as you said, I mean, totally changing the landscape. And Turner slashing 238, 291, 378, 11 home runs. Some of the worst numbers of his career. 688 OPS, 660 OPS. Uh, you know, and he was batting seventh in the lineup this week. He's never batted below fourth in his career before this week. It's it's one of the worst seasons of Trey Turner's career. I'm sure he'll figure it out. He has the money and he has a, certainly a lot of motivation behind that money. money. Yeah, yeah. So he'll be fine. The Phillies will be fine. They're scary on paper. They're the best team in the end, at least in my opinion. But that's only on paper. But, yeah, um, that's my two cents on that. But, yeah, good time to be a Phillies fan, right? I love, Yeah, I love the Phillies. But, I mean, it really is so nice to see, like, fans support a struggling team because that would just not happen in New York. New York should try that out. New York should try that out, but that's why Philly is the city of brotherly love. And oh. so that is why it works out for them, not for us. But no, it just is all around touching. Like uh, to see the billboard that Trey Turner put up, thanking yeah. the fans, um, doing everything he can just to help. And the fans obviously being receptive because they know what this team can do. Like they're they're a very good team when you look at them. And, and I think they have a lot of grit and a lot of just talent and – I don't I don't count them out ever now when whenever I've watched them because of how good they are. So I think the fans realize that and they know that their their uh, players are loyal to the team. They care about this team. They want to succeed. And, and I think that shows with the fan base and they're really happy to see it. And so be it. You know, they could 
they have a lot of potential and I still see this potential lasting them for a while. Guys, we covered a lot today. We had a lot to go through with New York and then the Kevin Brown stuff and the Phillies are throwing no hitters, but I think we're gonna have to end it here today. We got through a lot and this was a pretty long episode too. So yeah. proud of what we're able to do. If you want to watch, listen to nosebleeds, you can find it on Spotify, on our website or wherever you get your podcast. but that's going to do it for us today. From Maddie Bimonte and Dan Bartels, I'm Brian Raybacks saying thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Nosebleed Podcast, a production of WFUV Sports. <laughs>